0: As we just focus on you are just a good God, and Lord, because you live, how we can face tomorrow, Lord. I just pray you give everybody hope and peace here this morning, that hope and peace that is found in you. And thank you for this time. Prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say in your name. Amen. Before we get started, I wanted to let everybody know there are sheets in the back. The sheets aren't for the message this morning. This is something we've done before in the past, in the month of January. As we hand these out, um, I'm a firm believer in Proverbs 29:18 It says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And I believe it's important as a church to be seeking the vision that the Lord has led us and what God wants us to do. And the best way to do that is get the body of Christ praying. So what there is, is there's just five different things here the Lord's really laid on our heart to pray for. Um, First week, you're praying for the Lord to raise up ministry leaders. You know, Richard retired in June, and we've been praying, Lord, what's the vision since that? Do we hire another pastor? What does that look like? And just other ministries, just to see them be energized and revitalized in the Spirit. A heart for God's Word. A heart for the lost. A heart for worship and then wisdom and vision. I encourage you to take these home, put them on your fridge, put them beside your bed. There's different verses there. And what you're going to be praying is just praying these scriptures. As you read the scripture, just let the Lord lead and let the Holy Spirit lead and just pray that we have that vision as a church and what God is calling us to do. So those are available in the back. If we run out, we'll make more copies. But if you could take these home and pray over these for the month of January and into February, we'd really appreciate that. What we really notice is when you really stop and say, Lord, the year is yours. What do you want us to do? God blesses that. So, I'd encourage you to grab one of those to do that, please. All Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. With the way that uh, Christmas fell and messages here and there, we've kind of been in Proverbs here on and off for the last couple of weeks. And there's some great verses in here. And one of the verses that we're doing this morning is a very, very unique verse. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. What a unique verse! When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So if I'm right with the Lord, even my enemies are at peace with me. Now that seems to be almost a little contradictory because I think about what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he goes, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Jesus says, as everybody is saying something good about you, you better be careful. Because if the world is loving you, there's a problem. Because he said in John 15 this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now that's an interesting passage because then I go back to this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with them. So there's a couple thoughts that go through my mind. When I run into a verse like this and I'm thinking, Okay, Lord, what does this look like in practice? I always like to go through all the stories in the Bible and find the story that matches up with it. Now, there's a great story out of the Old Testament that we're going to go to and we're going to spend some time in there. And if you'd go with me to Genesis 25, I'd appreciate that. Now, I hope you guys have a love for the Bible, and especially a love for the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, it's easy to get caught up in the names, locations, etc., that doesn't make any sense. Please remember what Paul wrote about the characters in the Old Testament. They were given to us as examples, he says in Corinthians. Examples of what to do and examples of what not to do. And what we see here, starting in Genesis 25, is a wonderful example of how that fulfills Proverbs sixteen seven: When your ways are right with the Lord, that even your enemies are at peace with you. So I encourage you to look at the Old Testament and let the Old Testament come alive as we read these people and we read the lives that they lived and how God blessed them and how he used this. Now, back to what Jesus said, though. The world is gonna hate you. You represent light in a world that wants darkness. We use this analogy a lot. Imagine a completely dark room. Imagine the middle of the night. Someone comes in and shines a flashlight right in your eyes. You're not gonna wake up saying, Praise Jesus. You won't do that. You will be upset. Darkness wants darkness. We don't want light. So as you represent light and you go to work and you work amongst darkness and you work with people that want to live in darkness, they're not going to want to be around you. They're going to be bothered at you. They're going to be offended at you. And just your mere presence could convict them because they know that you represent Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, there was a guy that I was trying to get a hold of for a long time. And he just wouldn't return calls. He wouldn't return texts. He wouldn't return anything. So I was in Ron's one time over in Deschler. And I rounded the corner. And he was right there at the end of the aisle. And as soon as he saw me, turned his back and fled. Okay. Ron's is not big, guys. I mean, you're not, you're not going to hide from somebody. I chased him down. And in the middle of frozen foods, we had a conversation. Because he didn't want to talk to me. I wanted to talk to him. I'm not saying I got it all figured out. I represented light and darkness. And the darkness didn't want to see light. But I knew that we needed to talk. We knew that we needed to address some issues and, and talk. So I'm telling you right now you're going to go to co-workers, friends and family that want to live in darkness and as soon as you show up you represent the light of Jesus Christ they want nothing to do with you. In fact it says in John the world will hate you. And you will run into people that are of the light but they're flirting with darkness. And as they're flirting with darkness and you go represent hopefully authentic passionate relationship with Christ to them they're not going to really want to be around you either because you're going to convict them. They know they're wrong. So there's truth to what Jesus says, Woe to you when the world speaks well of you. Remember, the world hates you. But yet there's Proverbs 16 7. When my ways are bright with the Lord, even the enemies are at peace. So let's see this put into practice. Genesis chapter 25. Now, a little bit of background here as we get ready to start this. We're introduced here to Isaac. Isaac is the promised son from Abraham. And if you remember correctly, Abraham received this wonderful promise from God. That your descendants would be as the sand of the seashore and of the stars in heaven. Abraham was chosen to be the father of this great multitude. So Isaac inherits this blessing because he's the promised child. Well, now Isaac is now married, and Isaac is married to Rebekah, and they have two children. They're going to have Jacob and Esau. And from the beginning, there's going to be problems with Jacob and Esau. Take a look here at Genesis 25, verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. They had waited about 20 years. 20 years, and hadn't had kids. She was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Talk about a rough pregnancy. There were literally two nations fighting inside of her. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Esau, that means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means surplanter, heel grabber, deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Here's your story, folks. Isaac and Rebecca have twins, Isaac and Esau click. Esau's a daddy's boy. Rebecca and Jacob click. Jacob is a mama's boy. Esau is a man's man. This guy's hairy. I mean, if that's what they're going to call you as soon as you're born is hairy, there's some hair going on there, okay? <laughs> so much so that in a couple of chapters when Jacob tries to deceive Isaac to look like Esau, he takes goat skin puts it on his hands and arms so that way when Isaac would touch him he would touch goat hair and he would say, oh that's my son Esau can you imagine, you felt like goat hair just think through that for a second we used to have goats it's not like I would go to goats in the evening and just rub up against them saying oh you feel so good, no this is a hairy man this is a man that likes to be outside. It says here in the next couple of chapters that there was a smell about Esau. He smelled like the outdoors. Growing up on a farm, there's a farmer's smell. And I don't think I'm being insulting. I like it. It's a mix of dirt and seed and manure and grease. It just all comes together. And it smells like this man's man. I imagine Esau was big. He was tall. He had a beard that you would love. He had a deep voice, a husky laugh. He was just Esau. Then there's Jacob. Jacob, by his own admission in a couple chapters, says, I'm a smooth-skinned man. I don't know if Jacob had a beard or not. I don't know what he looked like. I envision Jacob being smaller. Jacob probably being thinner. I envision Jacob here, as it says, he was a mild man. Jacob lived in tents. Esau lived on the outside. It's quite an interesting description of these two. And Rebekah loved her Jacob, and Isaac loved Esau. Esau is the oldest. Esau gets the blessing. Now, this blessing is a huge blessing, folks. This is the blessing of the descendants. This is the blessing of the Messiah. This is the greatest blessing you could hope for that you, through your lineage, comes God in human form. Verse 29. Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary, therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. Esau becomes the father of the nation of Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Esau was an emotional man. Esau didn't think things through. Esau was the type of guy that if there was a problem, brute force would probably take care of it, I think. Jacob was the type of guy that says, I have to analyze this problem to figure it out. I'm going to think through it. Esau's like, if you just put enough torque on that bolt, it's going to come off. That's Esau. I'm hungry. I'm starving. Verse 32, I'm going to die. Bit of emotion there. So take the birthright. Verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his wake. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau's a man of the flesh. He doesn't think things through. And Jacob, whose name means deceitful, saw an opportunity and said, I'm going to take this. Jacob uses deceit. Jacob uses lies. Jacob uses manipulation. Esau doesn't. Now fast forward. Chapter 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to my son, and he said, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Where did Esau inherit maybe a bit of his emotional, maybe from Isaac? Isaac lives to be 180 years old. At this point, he's probably got about another 40-plus years left in his life. He's not near death. He goes, I think I'm going to die, so now do this, verse 3. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. Make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. This is my last meal. You go out, be a man's man, bring me home some food. But verse 5, Rebecca's listening in. Now Rebecca obviously likes Jacob, her smooth skinned, mild son. She stops and she realizes something. Esau's going out to hunt, so verse six, Rebecca grabs Jacob and says, Listen, I heard your dad talk to your brother. Quick, go out and get me some food. You go out and get me some food that I, that you can take this to your dad, and say that you cook this. Now listen to me, verse eight. Go nine to the flock, bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. I know what he likes. I've cooked for him for years. I'm going to make the perfect meal, the perfect thing. And then verse 10, you're going to take it into your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. You're going to go pretend to be Esau. Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver. Remember, his name means deceiver. To him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Now, what she says right there is prophetic. Verse 13, let your curse be on me. She loves this boy so much, she is going to manipulate the situation. Where did Jacob get it from? Got it from his mom. She's going to manipulate the situation and she says, Let this curse be on me. And she was cursed. Let's jump ahead a little bit here. Esau gets so angry. Esau vows to kill Jacob. Jacob has to flee. Mom says, Go. She never sees her dear boy again. Through her manipulation, through her lies, she loses her son. What you're going to see throughout this story you reap what you sow. There's a theme going on here of Galatians 6. You will reap what you sow. There is, makes it abundantly clear in the Bible. If you live in the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. If you live in the spirit, you'll reap the spirit. The book of Numbers says this, and I don't say this to scare you. It's a biblical truth. It says, be sure that your sin will find you out. There are going to be consequences to whatever sin we do. Now, granted, we are forgiven through Jesus Christ, and we have eternity in heaven. Amen. But there are consequences on this earth. Every action I do creates a ripple effect that affects the people around me. So if I create ripples in the morning that are of the Lord and of good through devotions and prayer, that will affect my wife, it will affect my kids, it will affect whatever ministry I have with you guys. If I make ripples in the flesh, that's going to affect my wife, it's going to affect my kids, it's going to affect all of you guys. Right now, Rebecca and Jacob are making a whole lot of ripples and they're not of God. Esau's making a whole lot of ripples and it's not of God. So he gets the food that his mom makes and he goes in. And this is what happens. Uh, Verse 14, he went in, got them, brought them to his mother, as his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Just envision this, folks. We know from running the dates, these aren't kids. These are men. Mom's dressing up her man with dead goat skin. Put it on your arms. Put it on your hands. Put it around your neck. Carry a dead carcass on you. So that way when dad touches you, you're as hairy as Esau. Take the food that I fix. Go in and pretend to be your brother. There is nothing redeeming. Remember we said what Paul said. These Old Testament examples are examples of what to do and what not to do. We haven't seen what to do yet. So we're still in what not to do. Verse 18, he went to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Stop right there. Do you know how hard it is to lie? I mean, it's really actually easy to lie. It's inside. What is going on inside of Jacob? And he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Remember, Jacob's name means deceiver. I have done just as you told me, please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Isaac said to him, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. See, when you lie, you gotta tell lies to cover up your lies. And when you start telling lies and walking in deceit, now you got to start twisting scriptures to make it sound real good. See, I went out, Dad, to hunt, and God so blessed me. The animal was right there. I could just kill it really quick. I could skin it really quick. And everything went so great because God is just with me. God does not bless things that he's in. Sometimes it looks like he's blessing it. Let the tape run out to the end. He's not blessing it in any way whatsoever. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son. Whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands are hairy like his brother's Esau hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me, and I'll eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. Brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, "Come near and kiss me, my son." And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him, said, "Surely the smell of my son." Lie upon lie upon lie. Who are you, Esau? How does this go so quick? God blessed it. Verse twenty-four. Are you really Esau? I am. Deception, manipulation, lies—all supported by mom. Completely blessed by mom. So what does he get in 27 through 29? He gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. Esau now shows up, verse 39. It happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. That Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He had also made savory food, brought it to his father, and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is it not rightly? Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Now, before you get real, feel really bad for Esau, the guy traded away his birthright for a piece of pie, okay? A man of the flesh and emotion. We know from studying out the rest of the Bible and Hebrews, it says that Esau diligently sought repentance with tears, but found none. There's a lot of tears going on, but there's not a lot of conviction and repentance going on. He doesn't really feel bad. He just wants the blessing. He realized what he missed out on now. So now he does get blessed. He becomes the nation of Edom, a very powerful nation. Edom and Israel throughout the rest of the Old Testament battle back and forth. But now, 41, same chapter. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which with his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Got to wait another 40 plus years till dad dies. But now there's rage and now there's anger. Mom shows back up, says, Jacob, you're not safe here. You need to leave. Run, run, run to my brother's house, your uncle's house. Go there and you will be safe. So that's what he does as he goes there. Jacob is on the run. He's a liar, he's a deceiver. His mom's a liar, a deceiver. Esau's full of anger, he's full of hate. This is a soap opera right here. But now, what happens? Okay, listen guys, you are Jacob, I'm Jacob. We're liars, we're deceivers, we're men of the flesh. We manipulate things, the only thing we care about is ourselves. We will lie, we will cheat, we will steal, we'll do whatever we can to get what we want, when we want, how we want it. That's why we need to know Jesus Christ. Christ comes in, he makes us born again, he creates a new person. We become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Now let's see what happens to Jacob. See, the Lord wants Jacob. 28, verse 10. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. What do you think is going through Jacob's mind? He's on the run. Big, bad, hairy Esau wants to come kill him. He's got this blessing nothing can do. He has to flee his house. He's now out in the middle of the wilderness by himself. And he's sleeping on stones. But then, 12, then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on, and behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Jump ahead to 15, behold, I am with you, will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. The Lord still wants Jacob. God will work with murderers, he'll work with thieves, he'll work with liars. He won't work with pride, but he'll work with anybody else. He goes, I want you, Jacob. Now, that ladder that you saw, this is where the term Jacob's ladder comes from. You see heaven open, earth, and you see this up and down between heaven and earth. According to John chapter 1, that's a picture of Jesus Christ. Because it's not a ladder that you and I can climb. It's Christ is the ladder. The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. So what you see right here is this vision. is God is saying, I'm opening heaven to you, Jacob. I want a relationship with you. And you can't get up here on your own, so I'm going to have to come down to you. What a picture of salvation. If you could save yourself, you would have saved yourself. You can't. Christ had to take care of it on the cross. And so Christ comes and says, I will send a ladder down from heaven, Jesus Christ, to get you, to bring you up to heaven, because you guys can't do it on your own. And even though you're a manipulative, lying thief, I still love you, and I still want you. So how does Jacob respond? Verse 18. Actually, verse 17. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. So he sets up an altar, and the oil represents the Holy Spirit there. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. Jacob made a vow, 20, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, then I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give to me I will surely give a tenth to you. Amen. He's made a vow to God. Everything's great. Now what about you guys? Once you got saved, did everything just turn out Great. I mean, everything just turned out wonderful. Whatever problems you had in the past has suddenly disappeared. You have no more family issues, no more health issues, no more problems in any way whatsoever because you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Spiritually, that's true. You're a new creation in Christ. We still live in this world. And remember those ripple effects that we talked about? Some of you have gotten saved, and there are still ripples from your past life. Christ has given you a new creation, a new life. The world hasn't yet. So what happens here to Jacob? Jacob goes and meets his uncle in chapter 29, Uncle Laban. And Jacob has met his match and his uncle. So Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob falls in love with Rachel. And so Laban in verse 15 of chapter 29 says, Hey, you're working for me. You shouldn't work for free. What do you want for your wages? So he's got two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Leah, verse 17, her eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. because I'll do this. I'll work seven years, you give me your younger daughter. 19, and Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Aw, isn't that sweet? Just <laughs> not that sweet right there? Hey, guys. Just serve your wife. Just love her. Unless she's asking you to do something unbiblical, verse 20, just go love her and just serve her. It really does work. I've been married 22 years. I have just recently found out, if I just do what Dawn tells me, things go better. I mean, it really just does. It just goes better. See, I go out, I do a lot of visits. I'm gone a lot, and I come home, and I will buy Dawn thing. I'll buy her flowers. I'll come home and I'll give her the flowers and she'll look at them and she'll make some comment how they'll just die. That's Dawn. She'll still put them on the counter, talk about them, but she, they're just going to die. So then I'll buy her some type of food. I'll get her some type of snack. I'll get her some type of food. Come home. She says, oh, I don't want this. Throws it in the cupboard. Two hours later, she's on the couch eating it. But the point is, what Dawn loves, what Dawn loves is verse 20. If she asks me to do something, I just do it. That's the truth. If there's something broken in the house, she just wants me to fix it. If something is happening in the house, she just wants me to do it. Now, here's the problem. Her dad built his own house. She married a man that can't drive a nail. I can't fix anything. She asked me to fix something. I'm on YouTube saying, I don't even know what a Phillips screwdriver is. What am I supposed (laughs) to be doing here? I have had to learn that the way I show love to Dawn is when she says, hey, could you make it something simple? Could you take care of this? Could you do that? The most loving thing I could do is stop at that moment and just go do it for her. And so I'm making a joke, but I'm also just being really honest and serious right here. That I just love her, and I just want to serve her, and I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. Unless she wants to do something unbiblical or sinful, I try to say yes to those things. Jacob right here says, Rachel, I love you. And it just seems like a few days, and it's really seven years. So Jacob comes back to Laban 21, says, I'm ready for my wife. Seven years. Laban says, let's throw a party for this marriage. So in the middle of the party, 23, it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And they also gave the maid servant Zilpah to her. Now, verse 25, it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. He said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Why have you deceived me? Because we reap what we sow. And Jacob met his match in Laban. It's night, it's dark, they go into the marriage tent. And can you imagine the conversation between Laban and Leah? Hey, go in there, pretend, pretend to be your sister. Jacob breaks up the next morning and says, this isn't Rachel. So Laban comes back in 26 and says, sorry, you didn't know the rules. You can't marry the younger first, you've got to marry the older. So let's just do this, 27, just work seven more years for me. And I'll let you have Rachel as well. 14 years, two daughters later. Jacob met his match. See, when we walk in sin, there will be consequences to that sin. That's why it's so vitally important to tell people, don't walk down the path of sin. Yes, you can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Yes, you can make a vow at Bethel. Yes, you can be used by God. But there's going to be ripple effects to every decision you make. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So now, 14 years in, two wives, two maidservants later, Take a look at 30. Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, if you're here this morning and you like soap operas, number one, you shouldn't. Number two, you don't need to watch soap operas. You just need to read Genesis 29 and Genesis 30. You have one man, four women, 12 children. It is a soap opera. I've had people come up to me in the past and say, Why is it in the Old Testament you see all these stories about men having multiple wives and there really doesn't seem to be any condemnation? Go read Genesis 29 and 30 and you see what happens when you don't do things God's way. One man, four women, 12 children. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. David had multiple wives. Absolute mess. Abram had multiple. Absolute mess. It doesn't work. So does God have to come out and say, see, I told you? No, I think it's pretty obvious. It doesn't work. And chapter 30 is just a soap opera of a mess. So now you have to put this time into perspective here. We're at least 14 years past this, plus probably more. Some places think maybe almost 20 years since he lied and took the birthright from Esau. Now Laban doesn't want to be around Jacob anymore. Remember our analogy of the light and the darkness there. Laban is darkness and Jacob is light. Laban's starting to get frustrated. And what happens now is the Lord comes and speaks to Jacob and says, it's time. It's time. Take a look at 31. He says in verse 5, I see your father's countenance that it's not favorable towards me. And he says, look, God has spoke to me. God says, it's time to go back. Take a look at 13. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. God told Jacob, it's time to move on. See, here's the deal. If you make a vow at Bethel, God wants to still move in your life. You may jump back into flesh. God says, no, get back to where you're supposed to be spiritually. Jacob, get back to Bethel. So he decides to leave to head back to Bethel to get right with God to where he's supposed to. And as he's heading back, take a look at Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mahaniam, which means double camp, two camps. So angels are there. Everything's working out great. We're leaving Laban. We're going back to Bethel, the house of God. I'm spiritually getting my life in order. It's so good that there's even angels all around. But then verse 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus speak to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Don't you remember Jacob? Esau vowed to kill you. So even though it's been 20 years, he's got 400 men, and he's coming right at you. What's Jacob do? Verse 7. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Sin has ripple effects, folks. Jacob, the manipulator, now tries to think of a way to do this. He's got a couple ideas. He divides his family up. He puts them in different groups. That way if Esau attacks, not everybody would die. He puts his concubines out front with their kids. Then he puts Leah and her kids, and he keeps Rachel closest to him. He sends waves of gifts to Esau. So basically, Esau is coming to him in anger, and so now there's waves of gifts coming. So now more people show up, and Esau says, what is this? More gifts from Jacob. More gifts from Jacob. Because this is what the manipulation does. I can get myself out of this situation. I can fix this. But he can't. And the Lord keeps speaking to him. And you start seeing more depth now in his walk. Take a look at 9. Jacob then said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do. You said return and now i got 400 men who want to kill me. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. There's a humbleness now. I'm a sinner. I am wrong. 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. 12, for you said I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered from multitude. Lord, you promised. You see him now manipulating, but yet also, but Lord, it's you. He's made a vow. He's made a promise. He wants to go deeper. But he hasn't let God have everything yet. Now, 22, please. He arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men that have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Peniel means face of God. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Now we have to bring this all full circle. You can make a vow at Bethel. You can make an altar. You can anoint the altar with oil. You can listen to God's voice and you can say, God, I'm praying and seeking you. Amen. There comes a time in your place where you and God need to fight it out for who's in charge. And you need to have a wrestling match with the Lord. And I'm telling you, the only way you're going to win that wrestling match is if you choose to lose. You have to choose to lose. I read this as I was preparing the message. This is an invaluable place for everyone to come to where God conquers us. There is something to be said for every man doing his wrestling with God and then acknowledging God's greatness after having been defeated. We must know we serve a God who is greater than us, and we cannot conquer much of anything until he conquers us. Some of you here this morning are wrestling with God for control of your life, and I'm telling you right now, just lose. Just lose. God can defeat you at any time. See, they're wrestling right here, but take a look. Verse 25, God just needs to touch his hip. And now, Jacob, you're done. You can't fight. But Jacob wouldn't let go, still holding on and saying, bless me, bless me. We know from studying out Hosea chapter 12, what Jacob is really saying in tears is, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. But God has to break him. Look at this question, 27. What is your name? Jacob. 20 years ago, he said Esau. What is your name, Jacob? Deceiver. Liar. Thief. Thief. God says, no, you're not Jacob. You're Israel. Prince with God, rules with God. Jacob, the old man is gone now. You're mine. And you're mine because you have wrestled with me and you have won by losing. You have been defeated by God and that's the greatest victory you could ever have. Remember what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 10. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Some of you are wrestling with God this morning. And the best advice I can give you this morning, if this is all you get out of the message, is this. Lose. Just quit fighting him. Lose. Let him knock you down flat. Let him teach you a lesson. And you will realize the love, grace, and mercy, and compassion of God. Because he says, I want you so bad, I'll fight you. And as I fight you, I'll take your hip out. And it will change you. Just take a look. Verse 31. Sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. From this point forward, you'll see Jacob a lot, leaning on a staff, leaning on a bed, walking with a limp. He literally, physically was not the same after this wrestling match with God. The Lord will do what he needs to do to get your attention. And some of you are constantly fighting the Lord, and I will stress to you again, just lose. Give your life over to him completely. Quit fighting on those things that you think are important. Quit wrestling with him on what you want and you desire. Fight by losing. Give your life to him and say, Lord, I'm done wrestling with you on this. I'm done fighting with this. It just completely, utterly wears me out. It is not worth it. I am done, and I trust you. I will die to my life so I can live for you, and I learned from Jacob right here that I could wrestle you all night, and what's going to happen? I'm still going to lose. So, Lord, I just lose right now, which means I win. I don't know what you're fighting them on, just lose. If there's some sin you think is so much fun, no, it's not. Lose. there's some desire you have, just lose it. If there's something you thought in life that you should have and you have not gotten it, just lose. Your marriage isn't the way you think you should be, just lose and let the Lord move and work. Win by losing and learn that from Jacob. Now, chapter 33, full circle. Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him, 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. Like I said, two. He puts the ones he loves the least up front, keeps Rachel close, and Joseph in the back. Crosses over, bows down seven times, for Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. Fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Why is Esau at peace? Because Jacob is right with God. That's the only reason this works. It's because Jacob got right with God. He won by losing. Now his enemies are at peace with him. Esau comes and says, five, who are these with you? Jacob says, my kids. Esau says, I want to meet your family. So he meets his family. Esau, verse 8, what did you mean by all this stuff that you sent me? I'm trying to find favor in your sight. Nine, Esau, I got enough, my brother. Keep what you have. Jacob says, no, take it. Take the blessing. So he took it and Esau says, let us go together on our journey. There's peace. 20 years before Esau vowed to kill him, Jacob had to run. Jacob, through deceit, manipulation, and lying, put himself in this position of fear, worry, anxiety, and then God wrestled with him. Jacob lost, and all of a sudden, his enemies are at peace with him. This is the greatest example in the story that I know of. When your ways please the Lord, even your enemies are at peace with you. Let me tell you this point, and it's just so absolutely simple. It's not deep in any way whatsoever. If I get up in the morning and I please the Lord, my day goes better. I'm not saying it goes perfect. There'll still be sickness, still be flat tires, and there'll still be problems. But there's a peace and a joy. If I get up and I spend my time in word and prayer, it just goes better. I'm creating ripple effects that affect my wife, my marriage, and my kids for the rest of the day, and my relationship with you guys. If I get up in the morning and just go in the flesh, I don't need to pray, I don't need to read, I don't need to study. I'm creating ripple effects that will affect my wife, affect my kids, affect my relationship with you guys. Why would I not want to get up in the morning and make my ways please the Lord? It just goes better. What we see with Jacob is this. A man who for years did it his way. Manipulation, lying deceit. He created ripples like he wouldn't believe. And finally he had to have a wrestling match with God that he won by losing. Guys, just lose and you'll win. And that's what we can learn from Jacob and Esau here. And that's what we can learn by saying when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, that finishes up the lesson that we have for today, but what I want to do in this last 10 minutes that we got right here, I want to share a little testimony of uh, somebody that's going through something. I think it's important during seasons to stop and let you know what the body of Christ is, is going through. A lot of times people just show up here at church and you look at the people sitting beside you and say, they got it all figured out. I'm the only one with the struggle. I'm the only one with the problem. No one has ever had it as bad as me. Oh, guys, don't be an Isaac, all right? I'm going to die. Give me my last meal. Yeah, you're dying die in 40 years, but. So what I want to do is this, is I think it's important. I really take this verse seriously where the Bible says glory and tribulations. And I used to be afraid to share that verse with people. Because if I go visit you in the hospital and you're in a lot of pain and I sit there and say, hey, glory and tribulations, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> but the truth is, it is a biblical concept that when you glory in tribulations, God honors that. And sometimes as a pastor, I get insider information where I know the tribulations people are going through and I see them glory in tribulations. And I think it's important to share in some of the things that are going on. So, you know, Bethany, if you want to come up here for a second. Got your mic on? Yeah. Hi, Bethany. Hi. Uh, you guys may know Bethany. Uh, Bethany, when did you guys start coming out to church? About three Two and a half years ago. Married to Gavin. Hi, Gavin. Gavin's not bad. Um, three kids. Uh, Annie, how old is Annie? Six. six almost, almost seven. LJ? Four. Four, as you look at your husband. And uh, Charlie, your little girl, is, is two. Now, he had quite the year. Um, for those that don't know, your mom was diagnosed with cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer. Now, when was that? That was the very end of January. Very end of January. And it was a very aggressive form of cancer. Um, so much so that she went through multiple surgeries um, and a lot of physical side effects, a lot of physical problems, still recovering, and it was quite a scary time. And when, by the time she found out she was diagnosed, when everything started happening, how short of a time frame was that? Uh, it was within weeks.
1: Uh, her tumor doubled
0: in size in weeks. tumor doubled in size in weeks, and she is doing well now. She was actually here at Christmas Eve. She was here at um, at the Christmas program, and... Faith is strong. Doing stronger physically, doing good. So that was quite a season to go through. And I can remember you coming up and asking for prayer and praying for your mom. And just how quickly the cancer spread. The multiple surgeries that she had to go through. What surgeries did she end up having to have done? Um,
1: originally, a because They
0: didn't know what kind it was. Mm-hmm. Quite the surgery and recovery from that, from the mastectomy. Now, then you found out that the cancer she had could be genetic, and you have a sister, and so you and your and a brother—he well, he doesn't matter at this point. He does. And he does. I'm sorry, you're, you're right. That's right. He does matter. So you go and get genetically tested, and praise the Lord, your sister came back and she was not carrying the gene, and then your test came back and you were carrying the gene. And it is eighty percent. What
1: was
0: it? Um, Eighty-seven percent chance of breast cancer, same form that my mom had. So eighty-seven percent chance of breast cancer. 67 percent of ovarian. Of ovarian cancer. So you and Gavin came up and you started praying, and you had some really big decisions to make. Um, I won't say how old you are. You just had a birthday. Thirty. (laughs) Thirty. Milestone. You wanted to have more children, Um, and so now you have to make these big decisions. And so you really prayed. You prayed for healing. You prayed for the Lord's wisdom. You prayed for everything. And then you and Gavin, after much prayer, decided to go through some surgeries. Mm-hmm. So this coming Wednesday, you are having a what done? Uh, total hysterectomy. Total hysterectomy, preventatively. Mm-hmm. And then following up this year, this spring, you are having then what done? Uh, double mastectomy. You're going to go ahead and have that done then because of the genes. Yes. And this is why I wanted to bring Bethany up, because we could have waited until the summer's done, and you could have said, look what God did, praise the Lord. She's in the midst of a storm before this happens and she's still saying, I praise God. And she's done it. I mean, she may have had some quiet moments at home, but any time I've talked to Bethany, even time I talked to Gavin, they have kept their faith, they've stayed strong and they've said, we're praying. And here is a young lady 30 years old has a lot coming up. A lot coming up. She has surgery Wednesday and we want to pray for her. And then once the surgery is done, a lot of surgery coming up this spring. And how is the Lord doing in your life right now? Uh, he's moving
1: in some really big ways. Um, he led me to have an appointment with a doctor in Toledo. That I walked in the office and knew I wasn't going to end up going there. I just had a piece that this isn't where you're going, okay? But I went into the, the office anyway, and um, this doctor was so ready to commiserate with me, and I wouldn't let him. <laughs> and uh, you know, I said, "I am grateful that God has gifted me with information that I have, and I'm just praying my children don't have this." And he kind of what just okay. (laughs) Um, But that was an opportunity I would never have gotten um, without this happening. And uh, God has timed everything out perfectly so far. Um, I could not have planned it any better. And I always comfort myself knowing he has better ideas than we do anyway, so there's no point in planning anything, really. (laughs) But um Yeah, so far, I mean, he allowed me to have my children before knowing about this, Um, and Gavin and I have always felt called to adopt, we just didn't know when, so now we know (laughs) that uh, we're done uh, getting blessings from the Lord one way, and now we're going to hopefully soon experience um, a blessing from the Lord in the form of children another way, so um, we're just thanking God for his leading in all those
0: things. And this this is what I'm talking about. As, you know, we've been going through this journey with Bethany over the last year and Bethany and Gavin. This is how they keep responding. It's just, God's good. God's good. We're just going to pray and God's good. And they're not allowing the storm to dictate their life. They're not allowing the what-ifs, the fears, the worries. We were there when they had to get the genetic testing and what would happen. We were there when she got the results. And... You know, I could probably go back and reread the text conversations or the calls there. Just, God's in charge. We're trusting him through all this. And here you are leading worship this Sunday. And the song you're singing at the end, you know, as Jim was leading it there, it was Good, Good Father. What's going through your mind as you're thinking that you're having surgery on Wednesday with more surgeries to follow? And you saw what your mom went through and you said it's rough. It's, it's really rough. You know this is mentally coming. So what's going through your mind as you're singing Good, Good Father at this time? He's never proven otherwise. He's never proven otherwise. <laughs> It's just an amazing testimony. And so when Bethany was going to have this surgery, I said, you know, I'd love to have you get up and share, pray about it. Because I think it's so vital for people to stop and say, I want to see somebody in the midst of the storm praising God. Because we stop and think it's not possible. And I'm telling you, you can glory in tribulations because that's the God you serve. And here is a gal that's doing that and her husband's doing that. So I asked her, I said, I want you to pray about sharing and letting the church know. And she was open to share everything. Everything. We were on the phone last night, and I said, you're okay with everything. She said, I'm okay with everything. So can you tell us your social security number? Um, but the point is, I also said, I'd like you to do a special. And so she's actually going to close you guys out with the closer. And I want you to think as this is happening that here's somebody that is saying, I want to worship God in the midst of this storm. Surgery is upcoming. What ifs <clears throat> upcoming? And still giving God the glory. So first we're going to pray for you, though. So come over here, okay? Can we pray for you? Lord, as we just come to you now, I just want to give you Bethany. I'm going to give you Gavin. I just want to give you the kids. I'm going to give you the whole Reed Sucker home. I pray for a safe, effective procedure on Wednesday. I pray that just as she just glorifies you, I just think of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I returned, but blessed be the name of the Lord. She's living this out. We say thank you for that. We pray for the recovery, the healing, and we pray for the witnessing opportunities. That's what she's talking about, these nurses, these doctors, that she gets to go represent Jesus Christ to. Thank you, Lord, for this testimony. Thank you for this glory. And, Lord, we know now that she has publicly given you the glory. We know the enemy is going to hit. So as a body of Christ, we come right now. We pray for a hedge of protection around this home. We pray that you would uplift them, encourage them, and the dark days that are coming, that there would be light. And, Lord, I pray that we as a body of Christ could support, pray, and encourage. And we lift this up in your name. And as she gets ready to go praise you in the storm, we say thank you in your name. Amen.